So we're in this series thinking about living life well, what it means to have lives in which we're truly thriving. And we're in this mini-series, part of it, about living lives of celebration, something that many of us love, others find a challenge at the season of life we're in at the moment. We live in a culture that loves to celebrate. We've got the sort of quotes on our fridges and on our social media timelines, like this one from Oprah Winfrey. The more you celebrate the life, the more there is in life to celebrate. We agree with Prince when he said, instead of hate, celebrate. Or we hope, like Jurgen Klopp, life is too short not to celebrate nice moments. And like many, many for Liverpool fans, we are praying for nice moments in the weeks to come. We'll be all right. (laughs) But we all know that these little trinkets of encouragement look good on Instagram and Facebook but are hollow when often faced with the circumstances of life that are far from what you might call celebratory. And this practice of celebration can seem jarring when faced with the painful reality of life. I was walking one evening not too long ago by a bar in which in this bar there was a party And outside it was raining, it was windy, it was a busy road. And I was walking by the bar. And you know what it's like when you see into a party, but you can't hear what's going on. All you can see is people dancing and having a good time. And you're outside in the dark misery. And for many of us, these sort of nice fridge magnets seem like that. How do we celebrate when we don't hear the music? What does it look like? This practice of celebration, I want to suggest, is one of the most challenging in this year that we're living life well. We think about things like fasting as being difficult, but choosing to celebrate when everything in life rants against it is, I want to suggest, one of the most difficult practices to do. And in this bit of the Bible, we've got two contrasting acts of celebration And we're simply going to compare those two and then hopefully apply it to our lives so that we can be people who are able to hear, able to celebrate even when we don't hear the music. And so here's the first act of celebration that is, frankly, empty celebration. There are two acts of celebration in this passage. One begins with celebration and ends with death. The other begins with death and ends with celebration. The backstory is King David and the people of Israel have just defeated their great enemies, the Philistines. The battle is won. So we've got sympathy with them. Their brutal enemy has been overcome. And so why not celebrate? And that's what they did. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. All their might. They were going for it. This was one party. And the victory in this battle is not the only reason they're celebrating. Yes, they've won the battle, but something even more wonderful is happening. Did you notice it? He and all his men, that's David, went to Bala and Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of Jerusalem. After years away traveling around in hiding, it had been nicked before, and now they got it back, but it's been away from the city. This symbolic act of bringing the ark back is incredible. 
Because the ark symbolizes God's relationship, his presence with his people. And so they've been floundering for a while, but now he's back. Fantastic. No wonder they're going for it with all their might. The dance floor is heaving. But I don't know if you picked up as we were reading through, as something doesn't quite work out how we would like it to work out. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died. Wow. Talk about a DJ playing a track that empties the dance floor. What's happening? Why has this joy-filled celebration of the enemies of God being beaten, why is the ark coming back so painful? Well, this is what happened. Did you see it? Bring it back in. They'd set the ark on God on a new cart, brought it from the house of Abinadab. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out, took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. They're bringing the ark back on this cart. And like any of us, the cart stumbles. And so Uzzah, who's by it, quickly just puts his hand out. After all, it's a precious thing to stabilize it. We would all do the same. What on earth is going on? On the surface, we miss it. It seems so trivial. But when we begin to explore what's really going on, our eyes begin to see this is an empty celebration. There's three major mistakes David and his people do at this particular moment. We can't go through all the Old Testament passages, but it's worth Googling if you want to. First thing they've done is they have belittled God. For them, the Ark of the Covenant has become a lucky charm. So much so that they wheel it out in battle. It's like a voodoo doll. God's no longer God. He's a lucky charm. that You just wheel out the magic to get what you want when you need it. Number one, that's what they do. Number two, do you notice how they're carrying it? And again, we miss this. What are they carrying it on? They're carrying it on a cart. This is something that is explicitly forbidden in the Old Testament. And not only that, the people who first carried it on a cart were the Philistines when they'd nicked it. What God's people are doing, they're worshipping God in the way the enemies of God worship him, rather than what God says. So... They've belittled God, made him into a sort of lucky charm. They've adopted the worldview of those around them about God rather than what God wants. And of course, the next step is what they do. They touch it. Uzzah touches it, which of course, again, is explicitly forbidden. Do you notice the journey that they go on? It starts with using God for their ends. Then adopting other people's perspectives on God before they actually, frankly, outright sin. That journey is something that all of us do in our rebellion against God. I read just this week, all sin begins with a character assassination of God. I like that. Think about the Garden of Eden, that that ancient story. What do they do? They've got all this beautiful creation, this tree right in the middle, this amazing relationship with God. One thing, one thing. And how do they get to eat this fruit? Firstly, God's words are questioned. Did he really say? 
And then they're challenged, you won't die. And then, of course, they then eat it. The rebellion against God starts way back with doubting that what God says is right and doubting that God is really for them. In other words, what God's people here are doing is they're using God, belittling him, domesticating him for their own ends. What's that got to do with celebration? Well, this empty celebration is about me. We celebrate when things are good. When things aren't what we choose, we assassinate God. And we've all done it, and many of us do it. I remember for me, there was a time when I was at Bible college, where I was learning so much, I was praising Jesus with all my heart, really going for it. And then a particular thing I wanted to do didn't work out how it went. And I remember being in chapel at Bible college, way rock bottom. How dare God not do what I thought he would do? I was using God as a little lucky charm. If I did the right thing, ticked the right box, prayed the right way. In other words, it was about me. Empty celebration. That's one way to celebrate, but it leads ultimately to devastation. But there's a better story coming up. Because there is an other aspect of celebration, which is this. Lasting celebration. Did you notice how David responds differently the second time round? David freaks out. How on earth am I going to get this ark back? This is devastating. People touch it and die. How on earth am I going to get it back? So it goes away again. And then we read in verse 12. David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull. Very different approach this time. Taking God as God says, carrying it on poles rather than on a cart as the Philistines had done, and making a sacrifice for their sins before the holy God. God instituted the way that they could come to him. David now does it. But you notice something else. Look what David is wearing. He celebrates wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing with all his might before the Lord. Again, we may not know what that means, but that is exactly what the priests wore. Do you see this? Access to God is through a sacrifice given by a priest on their behalf. David has taken off his royal robes and become a servant of the people. And of course, we don't need to look too far to see who that foreshadows. As Jesus, God himself, takes off his royalty, stoops down to serve, and not only making a sacrifice, being the sacrifice, so that there is access for all to God's presence. That is worth celebrating. That's not just a temporary battle victory. That is is with God for all eternity. No wonder, as Brennan Manning says these words, grace calls out, you are not just a disillusioned old man who may die soon. 
A middle-aged woman stuck in a job and desperately wanting to get out. A young person feeling the fire in the belly beginning to grow cold. You may be insecure, inadequate, mistaken, or pot-bellied, or all of those. Death, panic, depression, and disillusion may be neared for you. But you are not just that. You're accepted. Never confuse your perception of yourself with the mystery you really are accepted. That's worth celebrating. God has made a way for you. Done deal. Sacrifice made once for all. That's good news. He's way more than a lucky charm to do our bidding if we just rub him the right way. This is the God of the heavens, the Holy One, who can't be touched, coming into us on our behalf. Wow. That's celebration that lasts. But, 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 somebody's not happy, are they? Did you pick that up? David's wife. I won't try Andrea's pronunciation. I'll call her Michael, but Michael, whatever it was, is way better. Look at her response. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David laping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. You can sort of see the face and feel the, how dare he? And I love what she says. It's hilarious. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls, the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. That's not the behavior of a king, she says. And I want to dwell here just for a moment. Because if you've been around church circles for a little while, this passage was referred to quite a lot in the mid-90s. Anyone remember that? Just out of interest. It was a song we used to sing in the mid-90s. It ages me. This song. I will dance, I will sing, to be mad for my king. Nothing, Lord, is hindering the passion in my soul. I will dance, I will sing, da da da, da. And I'll become even more undignified than this. Some would say it's foolishness, but I'll become even more undignified than this. Anyone remember singing that song, or is it just me? Brilliant. I love that song. Great. And it was an attempt in an era where kind of formulaic sort of traditionalism, there was a newfound freedom. Fantastic. Looking at what David did and saying, wow, such joy in God's presence and God's victory. But I want to suggest, controversially, I'm not sure that's the point of the passage. This is not about the manner of celebrating. I love this cartoon. She's saying, idiot. (laughs) There may be some of us who feel a bit like that in church. That we either look at people going for it, jumping around like David and thinking, idiot. Or we look at people jumping around like David and thinking, I just could never be like that. Or we look at people that aren't jumping around and think, why not? And I want to suggest that's not the point of the passage. This isn't some drum to beat so that you should dance. That's not the point at all. 
This is not about how we celebrate, no. This is about what we celebrate. Because it becomes clear as we get to the end of the passage. Look at what David's response is. David says to his wife, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me over the rulers uh, to be Lord's people over Israel. Simply put, David chooses to believe what God says about him rather than what other people say. That he knows he's chosen by God for his purposes. And as I was preparing for this, and we're going to respond in a moment, I had a sense that as we were preparing, that this is a barrier for many of us in terms of choosing to celebrate. That simply we're believing what other people say or have said about us rather than what God says. And because of that, our circumstances or even our demeanor is one in which we've chosen to believe lies rather than believe what God declares to us. Recently, I was reminded by a very wise, godly man. As I was honestly pouring out about my circumstances and thinking, how on earth can I do this job and all of that mixture of stuff? And this person very wisely reminded me, if God has called you, he's called you with your world. And that's a word for some here today. If God has called you, he's called you with your world, with your circumstances, with those things you wish were different. He knows that. He's called you. Be free. And so we're going to respond together. I'm going to simply read out some statements about what God might want to say to you. And I want us to simply close our eyes. Because there will be people in this room that you have heard things said about you, to you, over you, that you still believe to be true. And as a result, your life is far from celebrating because there's so much burden. And today, it may be that God wants you to free, be free. Can I just invite us to be still? And this is an act of us saying, God, I want to celebrate in a lasting way because of what you've done. I want to be changed, God. So I'm going to read some statements and then we're going to pray together and then we'll respond. To some who have been rejected by those you love, God calls you child. For some who are so afraid of death or illness, God says there is hope. To some who fear that you are past it, God says you are called. To some who wonder if you'll simply be left out, God says you are chosen. To some who've been told that you are a failure, God says you're a child of the King. To some who have heard 
that you aren't good enough. God calls you precious in his sight. To some who have heard again and again and again, it's your fault. God says he remembers no more. It's gone. To some who have heard the words, I wish you were different. God says that you're created in his image. There's something of God in you. For some who fear that they're an imposter waiting to be found out. God says that he knows way more than you know about yourself and you're worth dying for. To some who've heard the word inadequate. God says you are royalty. To those who only hear the word broken. God declares you whole. And to those for whom the word disabled is said of you again and again and again, God says you are teacher. Teacher.